0: Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds, by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. Our movie today is a personal favorite of mine. It's a, It actually kind of breaks my rule here. I, don't, I try not to have a whole lot of modern movies on Staff Picks. I try to do older ones, because I've always been of the uh, belief that movies tend to be at least, need to be at least 10 years old before you can judge how good they are and how they will be remembered in history. But this is one of those that just barely fits into that 10-year window. It's technically not old enough, but it's one that when I saw it, I immediately thought this is going to be a cult favorite in Down the Road, and like we have to talk about it. And the movie I'm talking about, of course, is the 2009 Will Forte vehicle, *McGruber*. As uh, some would say, one of the only good SNL funny movies. (laughs) And, uh, oh, that's maybe debatable. We'll talk about that. And my co-host today is a uh, guy who runs a Saturday Night Live podcast. I have actually been on his show before. It's called That Week in SNL. And he is a big SNL historian, as am I. We are competing SNL podcasts. And uh, I'm very excited to have him on the show. Welcome to Staff Picks, Andrew Dick.
1: How's it going, everyone?
0: Oh, so excited! I I was just on Andrew's show. Uh, we talked about the Dolly Parton episode of SNL from 1990, which is one of the most obscure things you could talk about on a podcast. So I'm very excited <laughs> to have you on as one of these what's it called a home and away situation. So welcome to my home. Well,
1: thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So before we delve into MacGruber, uh, why don't you give people a little backstory on who you are, uh, what your show's about, and you, kind of your your history with SNL over the years.
1: Ooh-wee. we right. Uh, well, my name is Andrew Dick, run That Week in SNL with my co-host Tim Jacali, and we, as you said, explore older episodes of the show, just kind of bounce around eras, season two to season 44. We cover them all. Uh, apparently, we don't do season one for some reason. I don't know why I said that like that. And yeah, so we, we explore the episodes, and I decided to do that podcast after kind of coming back into the fold of SNL after having been away for a good decade or so. That decade contains MacGruber because I think around 2004-ish is when I had stopped watching the show, and then around 2014 is when I hopped back on. and So I missed pretty much the entirety of the Kristen Wiig, Will Forte, Andy Samberg, Bill Hader era until I went back. And rewatched it. And so I, I missed both this movie, McGruber and, and also Hot Rod, which I guess at this point are pretty much the final SNL movies to come out. <laughs> uh, it's been, like you said, about a decade, and I don't see them attempting another one right now. I guess it's mostly people moving on to their own television
0: projects. Wait, you don't think there's going to be a Jacob the Bar Mitzvah Boy movie anytime soon?
1: I hope not. I love Vanessa, but (laughs) I mean, I don't even know. That's the thing is I was thinking about it. Rewatching this movie is what would be a good character from modern day SNL to bring into a movie? And I was stumped. I I couldn't quite figure out one that maybe drunk uncle.
0: (laughs) Wait, how are they going to how are they going to make that happen? (laughs) I
1: mean, it would be a pretty depressing film, I would imagine, uh, but a fascinating one. I, I just I don't know how many characters have like a sort of life ba- that you can imagine outside of uh, their sketches, like say a Wayne's World or a MacGruber, where uh, I don't know if you got this ever watching the sketches, but this is a uh, play or parody on the
0: show MacGyver. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of helps, if you know that, uh, it helps explain some of the comedy there.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I have to say, Andrew's one of the guys who has a really extensive knowledge of SNL history, and I do too. Like we're, There are very few people that I think out there that really kind of know SNL's history as well as you and I, although I, w- I didn't realize you had skipped over the early 2000s there of SNL. Yeah, so the thing is,
1: when Will Ferrell left, it, it was a pretty big hit for me. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people. The show struggled afterwards, and I've actually been back to watch uh, some of those seasons where I was really on the fence, and then f- completely fell off, and definitely f- figured out that no, I was right. This this kind of <laughs> sucked, and I was right to jump off. <laughs> like, I could not do this every single Saturday, and I was in high school. You know, it was like Saturday Saturday nights. I was actually doing something, which is pretty <laughs> rare for me. So. I missed out on pretty much all the Will Forte. He joined just as I was stopping watching. And for some reason, out the gate, I did not like him. Because I thought he was just a bad Will Ferrell replacement, even, even being another Will F. And then eventually getting the Bush character as well. And he always starred in these very bizarre sketches, uh, like the Falconer. And I was like, this guy's just a lousy replacement for Will Ferrell, and the rest of the show sucks right now. And so I stopped watching uh, until I I eventually slowly but surely got interested in the show again. And when I went back to really watch everything I missed, I realized, oh, shit, Will Forte is amazing. He's one of the best (laughs) cast members ever, and I'm an idiot, and I've missed so many great
0: things, MacGruber included uh within that so i'm glad you said that before i had to so congratulations what's that and you were saying i was an idiot for not appreciating wolf forte i'm glad that you bring this up this topic before (laughs) i had to mention the elephant in the room
1: yeah yeah no i i know the folly of my ways now were we ever so young to dislike will forte no he's amazing and uh sadly i haven't really kept up with what he's done post snl i really wanted to watch last man on earth and just never got around to it because i don't really have television these days uh even just terrestrial network television like fox so i I pretty much missed out on it but it looked amazing and i heard it was great so it's a shame it got canceled uh before it's time never never got to wrap up its own story
0: I generally don't watch too much episodic TV just because I I don't have the attention span for it. So I've seen a couple episodes of it. It wasn't really my thing, but I will always support Will Forte just because I think he's amazing. Yeah. And I will give people my history. It'll kind of dovetail with yours a little here that I've said before. I have not missed an episode of SNL live since like 1985. I have one of the longest Cal Ripken-like streaks alive. And that whole era, 2001 through about 2008... I could not hate an an era of SNL more than I hate that era. And it's funny because that's like one of the most beloved and acclaimed eras ever. Like everyone liked it. I could not stand it. And like, to me, Will Forte was like the one saving grace that made that watchable. And I know Mm. what a controversial opinion that is, but yeah, like that whole era, I would just sit there and like, none of this is interesting to me, but every so often they'll throw some bizarre Will Forte experiment out there. And I'll have no idea how this made it onto the air right but as a comedy writer i'll appreciate that someone fought for that
1: i mean i'm I'm kind of with you i'm a little bit of the opinion that that era is a little bit overrated but going back and watching a bit of it and just like i said on our show we just bounce around at this point we're about to cover a the betty white episode from season 35 or it has already happened But we went back to season 35, which I feel is one of the worst seasons the show has ever had because it was so super lazy and just repetitive. And Kristen Wiig was just over Uh, running roughshod over every single sketch. And you jump back into just one episode and you go, oh, well, this is actually pretty funny, (laughs) like not having been inundated with, you know, your millionth lawrence welk show sketch uh if you haven't seen it in a couple years and you just dip into one you go oh yeah this is pretty funny yeah it is a weird back and forth if you watch season 35 which is i think when they were producing this up this movie and releasing it it was kind of a miserable season actually ryan felipe hosted during that season and it's one of my most hated episodes because it is indicative of that entire season where i feel i to my memory it was all repeated sketches
0: well okay i'm not i i don't i never know snl seasons by their season number what year is that what's what year is season 35 uh i think it's 2009 2010 Okay, yeah, it's the exact era that I really didn't like. Yeah, okay, I get it. I, I remember that Felipe Felipe episode just being terrible. So we, we agree on one thing. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> but yeah, just this weird era where, I again, the critics loved it and the audience seemed to love it. And it was just all repeated recurring characters. And I could not stand it. It felt so lazy to me. But every so often you'd have Will Forte coming in there and just, just completely dismantling what comedy should be. And then on top of that you had... I'm probably not saying anything you disagree with here. The uh, digital shorts, the Lonely Island guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, to me, that was the saving grace of that era. You had Will Forte and the Lonely Island stuff really elevating and making that era seem better than it actually was. And that's my argument for McGruber here. This is the best of both of those worlds there because a lot of people may not know that it was directed and co written by uh, Jorma. I always don't know how to pronounce that. Yorma. How do you say his last name? I'm terrible with names.
1: I think uh, on the commentary, I had to rewind it because he said it so fast. I think it's Tacone. I, I think you're supposed to – I don't know if he's Italian or what. I mean it's such a strange name, but it did seem like a Tacone, and I was like, okay.
0: Here's the great part. I'm Italian, and I cannot pronounce Italian names. <laughs> so, so Jormit Tacone. Uh, yeah, so he wrote this movie, and he's one of the Lonely Island guys. Will Forte starred in it there were no expectations for it whatsoever. Nobody thought a McGruber movie would be a hit and it really wasn't. It was kind of a flop. But it was really interesting because it was kind of produced under like without the gaze of the studio. Like the studio wasn't really on top of them telling them what they had to do. And they made the most bizarre, weird, non-sequitory very very heavily r-rated action movie and it's not what you would expect out of an snl movie and that's why like i said i saw this and instantly i'm like this is a cult classic this is going to be remembered one day as a very funny comedy in fact i would even go so far as to say it's one of the only really funny movies i can think of after about 2000
1: yeah that's another thing that really hits me while watching this is just the fact that hey it's a comedy movie what happened to those uh-huh. and i mean this is sort of i guess right on the edge of like those judd apatow paul feig uh improv heavy comedies where it's just like well we wrote a scene and everybody who's funny on the day will just get there and they'll riff the punchlines. And we'll probably throw them all in on the edits because they're all kind of mediocre anyway. And so we'll just have a whole bunch of mediocre punchlines to make up for the fact that we didn't actually write one big punchline. So beyond – actually, speaking of the Lonely Island guys, beyond Popstar, Never Stop mm-hmm. Stopping, uh, this – yeah, this is very much a blast of – From the past of like, oh, hey, a comedy movie where they wrote all the gags in the script and then went and shot the film as as written. (laughs) Holy crap. They wrote jokes.
0: I'm very happy you mentioned Popstar because that's another one I wanted to bring up that. It's funny we keep calling these modern comedy movies. These are like almost 10 years old, some of them. So they're not even really modern anymore, but. Well, Popstar is about, what, three, four okay. years old? Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, th- those are three that I would say, like, there are very few comedies in the 2010s and late 2000s that make me laugh. This one, McGruber, is one of them. Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, another one that really makes me laugh. And then you got the other ones you mentioned Popstar and Hot Rod. Now. Hot Rod, I'm, I'm right on the fence if I want to do a Staff Picks episode on that movie, because mm. I love the idea of it, and I love a lot of the jokes, but I feel, feel it really kind of falls apart at the end, so I'm not 100% as sold on that one as I'm on McGruber.
1: No, when, you know, when... I first bought *McGruber* to to watch when we first discussed doing this episode. I bought *Hot Rod* alongside of it, and uh, it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. It it's got one really great gag of him falling down the the mountain for an extended period of time, but the rest of it's kind of forgettable. Uh, sorry to say <laughs> that, but you know it's okay. It's more in, in line of what you think a regular SNL movie yeah. would, would kind of be.
0: Okay, let, let's talk about that for a second. We're kind of doing, we're spending a lot of time in the preamble, but I think this is important for people because, like, Andrew and I live in this SNL world. You guys might not live in the SNL world like we do. It's horrifying here. It's terrible, but it's a, we're, it's a safe space. We're safe here, Andrew. <laughs> no. So let's talk about the history of SNL movies. Okay. Even though it might be kind of brutal. Um. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It starts off strong. Okay, what's the first one? The Blues Brothers in, like, 1983 or two?
1: I think just 1980, which, uh, if, if you're going to have bookends for this whole SNL universe, uh, it's kind of fun to have Blues Brothers, which is an action comedy musical, uh, and MacGruber, which is also an action comedy, uh, serving as sort of bookends.
0: Yeah, they're basically the same movie.
1: I just kind of realized that myself, but yeah, I was like, "Hey, that's actually kind of nice—a little bit of uh, cyclical nature there." Uh, but I don't think that's a full-on SNL production. I'm not 100% sure if even Lorne yeah.
0: produced that. I've never counted The Blues Brothers as an SNL movie. It's—it's it's too much of a standalone.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a little bit off the grid, and so is the second because I think the first sort of official one is Tom Schiller's movie Nothing Lasts Forever. Oh, wow. I believe that is the first Lorne Michaels-produced like SNL uh, movie, and it was instantly lost because it's a Tom Schiller film, and they made it and went, Who is going to watch this? <laughs>
0: Well, I would argue that's pretty much the thought process behind a lot of these SNL movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'll skip forward ahead for people who like, the Blues Brothers is really kind of the beginning, but that's not the era most people think of. I want to talk Tom Schiller? No, we're, yeah, we're not really, this is not going to be a Tom Schiller heavy episode, Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the era that most people would know is the 80s, 90s, 2000s. You got like, like Stewart saves his family, you got Superstar, you got uh, the Night at the Roxbury Right. And I would just, uh, I mean, I'm going to be kind of blunt here. I think they're all crap. <laughs> so, uh,
1: Well, I mean, that's taking the Wayne's World films off the table.
0: Exactly. Wayne's World's the one. A lot of people don't know what a big deal Wayne's World was. That wasn't just an SNL movie. That was like the number one movie in the country. That's like the yeah. defining movie of that year. Yeah, yeah. And I guess some
1: people have defended Coneheads. I haven't huh. seen it since I was like eight years old or whatever. But I, I know that there are people coming out of the woodwork to say that one is not as bad as maybe you would think. I, I don't know.
0: You know, to quote the great Nick Cage, that's high praise.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've covered uh, Roxbury in Superstar on the show. And yeah, they're miserable. They're fucking miserable. Terrible. Especially Roxbury is is so bad. It's so bad that Chaz Palminteri took his name off the film. We we realized that afterwards. It's like who who is this character? Why can't we not find him in the cast list? Oh yeah, it's Chaz Palminteri, <laughs> and he took his name off of it because
0: it sucked. Okay, yeah. So that's <laughs> the long sorted history of SNL movies. If you didn't grow up in the eighties and nineties, you would know this. That that was the you know, synonymous with a crappy movie. That's just what it was. Yeah. It was a cheaply produced piece of crap that was really watered down PG for kids. Just a recurring character going out and spouting catchphrases.
1: A character that's already dead, usually. Already been just milked to death yeah. for the show. And now, a year later, you get
0: the movie. And it's like, no! <laughs> Why? So that's the history of SNL movies. That Other than Wayne's World, most of them are just kind of crap. Yeah, the history is why. Yes, exactly. And now you got *McGruber*, which again, a movie nobody expected anything from. Nobody was clamoring for a McGruber movie. It wasn't like the most, the biggest character. It wasn't the big catchphrase character, but for some reason, it was produced. It came out, and like it was a huge flop, absolutely flop. Yeah. But it's so funny. And it's so much better than you think. Like, there's nine or ten legit out loud laughs in this movie that come out of nowhere. Like, some of the funniest scenes I can think of in the 2000s. Uh,
1: and this movie also came out the same year as uh, another of my favorite uh, comedies of the last decade or so, uh, which also kind of shares a, a aesthetic with MacGroover, which is Black Dynamite, mm. uh, which was... You know, sort of paying homage to exploitation films, but also making it a ridiculous comedy. MacGruber, as we've said, actually plays itself pretty straight mm. as a love letter to 80s, 90s action films, while also being a ridiculous comedy. And uh, yeah, so I also just noticed that. I was like, this kind of reminds me of Black Dynamite. And like, oh, they came out the
0: same year. Okay, before we delve into the plot of *McGruber*, and I'm going into this assuming most people have not seen this movie, so we're going to kind of explain the gags and stuff, but there's three things I wanted to bring up before we get into it. The first is, this movie has an R rating, and that's why yeah. what separates it from other SNL comedies, and it's not like a benign R rating, no. this is an NC-17 hard R <laughs> yeah. rating. Yeah,
1: listening to the commentary, they definitely were worried that it was going to go into NC-17 territory.
0: And you would not expect that from an SNL movie, because they were always, again, very benign and kind of marketed towards kids and teenagers. And this one is just not. That's all I can say about it. It's You would not want to watch this movie with your parents. I'll put it at that. <laughs>
1: oh, God, no.
0: <laughs> no. And the other thing I wanted to point out is that, again, a notorious flop. Nobody liked it at the time. If you read some of the reviews of McGruber, they're just hilarious how angry it made some critics. <laughs> and there's one sentence here that I just always love. I forget if this was from Roger Ebert or someone else when he says, What reason is there for this movie to exist? <laughs> <laughs> That's high praise for a comedy right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's not completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, again, there Yeah, it, the, the, You're not making any great points with this movie. It's just for gags. Right. Okay, and then the third thing I wanted to point out again is that SNL movies historically suck, and I don't know, you'll get much argument on that, but the argument I would make for people is this is not an SNL movie. Don't think of it as an SNL movie. Think of it as, oh my God, somebody paid Will Forte $30 million to make a movie.
1: Well, actually, I was looking it up. It only cost $10 million, what? and they couldn't even make that back. Yeah, it cost $10 million and had a very short turnaround. They had about a month to knock it out. And, uh, yeah, still couldn't even make that back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but just for anybody who knows Will Forte's history on SNL, he does the most bizarre sketches, the bizarre turns of phrase. They're always weird. They always go in some weird 90-degree direction. Just one of the most unique uh, acquired tastes, perhaps, would be a good way to phrase him. Yeah, And, you know... Props to
1: Lauren, honestly, to really let one of the weirdest performers the show has ever had, and not even the star of the show at that point, uh, to have his own movie. I mean, there's very little times where I don't uh, have a problem with the way Lauren produces his show, for for the most part. But uh, this is nice. It's like, yeah, that's that's kind of what I want to see. Let let the freaks let their flags fly. (laughs)
0: But again, just the the thought process. Somebody gave Will Forte money to make a movie. <laughs> like that <laughs> should not happen. It just did. So, just anybody who loves comedy, anything about comedy, find this movie and watch it cuz it's so bizarre.
1: Yeah, and it's super cheap. Yeah. If you you know, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, it's an SNL thing. So, I don't know if it's streaming, but I bought the Blu-ray for 5 bucks. I mean,
0: that was a good price for it. <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Alright, so again I I just I want to clarify this. I usually have pretty sharp listeners, so I don't feel I need to explain every joke, but when Andrew said earlier this is a parody of MacGyver and I expressed shock, I was just joking. I'm well aware this was a MacGyver parody. Yeah, okay, so we'll set this up for people who may not know. MacGyver, very famous old TV show in the eighties about uh what's his name? Richard Dean Anderson. He was the guy? Yep. yep. And he was a former Marine, former military guy who decided he wanted to, you know, fight crime and do good, but he would not use guns. He, he was a man of science. He would design other things that could solve his problems, and he would just not use firearms. He couldn't kill people. And that is the parody of this, that is the, the what we're parodying in this movie, that McGruber is very much along those lines, except for the fact that, A, he's a sadistic asshole... <laughs> b he's a murderer, he loves tearing people's throats out. that's his biggest like he gets off on he gets sexual pleasure from ripping people's throats out.
1: yeah, he doesn't shoot anybody, but he loves to just murder people in the most gruesome fashion,
0: yes, and he's just a dick, and I hate to say that, oh, that's your last name. I feel bad oh, that's fine, no impugning the fine dick family name
1: <laughs> We use it plenty of times. People are dicks, and uh they don't have to be part of our family.
0: But that's the thing about MacGruber. He's not likable. There's nothing likable about this character. He's an asshole to every other person in this movie. And yet somehow they made him the hero. And it's just one of these weird anti-comedies that, as the reviewer said, there's no reason for this to exist. But it is. And anybody who likes comedy, I think, would appreciate this. Well, and with the sketches, uh,
1: the gag is he always fails, too, because it always ends. The MacGruber sketches would be a Mm three-piece scattered throughout usually the first half of the show. And it would always be a gag waiting for when the bomb explodes that ends the sketch. So in the universe of the sketches, he's never won. He's never done a good job ever. The bomb always goes off.
0: Yeah, not only that, but he has died repeatedly. (laughs) We're going into Chris Elliott territory for people who ever saw the TV show Get a Life. It was famous because Chris Elliott's character would die at the end of almost every episode.
1: Oh, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, that was what was so amazing about it that he'd just die and then come back the next episode. So, McGruber has died hundreds of times before this movie. So, uh, okay, are you are you ready here, Andrew, to delve and do our best to delve into this movie? Yeah,
1: I think that's enough preamble.
0: You ready to pound some kunth?
1: Oh boy! So, <laughs> you know that is the first note I have because right off the the bat, we we meet Vel Kilmer. As Dieter von Kumpf, and so that's my first note. Is
0: Kumpf funny? Is that really funny? <laughs> it's it's one of those Will Forte things, I think, where it's really not funny. It's a hacky joke, but if you keep coming back to it over and over and over again, eventually be, it kind of becomes funny,
1: right? Because they do have the gag of him always making the "Let's pound some Kumpf." <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's it's there for that gag, uh, I guess, especially you know particularly but uh it's so bizarre it's a bizarre d- choice
0: that that is one of the things that many of the critics many 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 of the critics at the time pointed out your bad guy's name is Cunth. like really yeah you're going that stupid with your joke but yes we are right. going to go that stupid with the joke <laughs>
1: And honestly, it's the first joke because the movie opens up in a pretty legit uh, sort of action movie way where it does kind of take a couple minutes before it even really hits its first big joke uh, beyond the detail of, of Val Kilmer's name being Kunt. Uh it, it actually does take a couple minutes to, to really get to our first joke. It really starts off like a legit action film as he's, he's stealing this nuclear uh, warhead.
0: Yeah, let's let's explain that to people who haven't seen it. Okay, so there's a terrorist called Dieter von Kunth, played by fat old Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> fat evil Val Kilmer. And again, I'm a big Val Kilmer fan going way way back to Top Secret, so I'm excited to see him in a movie. And he has hijacked a nuclear warhead, the X five nuclear warhead, and apparently this guy Kunth is a very bad man. So when you have a bad man like this, you must send in the ultimate hero to stop him, and this is where we're going to meet Magruber.
1: Yes, who is uh, hiding out in
0: Ecuador, I believe. Yeah, they have a lot of Buddhist temples in Ecuador. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I should point out, the, the, the uh, for people who know the SNL sketch, they have MacGruber's theme song, MacGruber, mm-hmm. making life-saving something out of household inventions, MacGruber. It's you know, very r- a very recognizable theme. But they add a couple parts to it in the movie, which I appreciated, to the theme song. Yeah. The sexy sax man, which I love.
1: <laughs> and also, they made a fucking movie, MacGruber!
0: There are a lot of F-words in this movie, so get ready for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so MacGruber is in a, he's like a, a recluse. He used to be a war hero, and now he's retreated, retreated to this monastery in Ecuador. And he's like, he has he's been pretending he's dead, he is hiding out, and only these, uh, this uh, colonel, I forget his name, Powers Booth, has to come find him.
1: Uh, Yeah, Jim Faith, played by Powers Booth. So already we've gotten Val Kilmer and Powers Booth, uh, both which are just giant slabs of head. Just big, meaty-head people.
0: (laughs) I'd never thought of them that way, but that is uh, very accurate. (laughs) So, Powers Booth is like Easter Island, basically. (laughs) Basically, yes. (laughs) Okay, so, and Powers Booth and his little sidekick, Ryan Philippi come down, and they track down MacGruber. And this is where we learn this Magruber guy is like a legend, an American legend. He's like, what mm-hmm. do they say, a former Navy SEAL, former Army Ranger, Green Beret. Oh, yeah, they
1: list off everything, like 10 tours of this, 7 tours of this, 7 Purple Hearts.
0: 16, oh, no, 16 Purple Hearts, <laughs> <laughs> among yeah. his other uh, awards.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so
0: they say basically this guy, Von Kampf, has stolen a nuclear warhead. We need you to come. And Magruber has given up this life. And we were going to, we will find out in a little bit why he's like, you know, that's not my problem. I don't need to stop this guy. And they tell him it's Kunth. Like the, you know, Kunth. this is the guy who, who like ruined your life. This is why you're in the monastery. And this is where we get the, uh, is this the amazing flashback of the wedding? Why? Uh,
1: it, it first they leave and he has the flashback and that's when he, oh. he rolls up it's like i'm in but first he needs to sort of tell them that no i'm done with this life everything i love is in this town as he's walking with a big group of ecuadorian kids who just steal his necklace and run off it's like they'll they'll return that
0: did you did you put the subtitles on for that scene it's really funny
1: I did not know.
0: <laughs> the little kids, MacGruber's with these little kids in Ecuador, and like, what do you like? They give, he gives them a necklace and they run off or something?
1: Well, they steal it, yeah. He's like, everything I love is in this town, and the kids just steal his property and run off. If you turn on the subtitles,
0: they say something like, blow me, MacGruber, or something like that?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is uh, subtitles, uh, just hard-baked into it, because then you also have- <laughs> that joke coming back later on in the film where he's like that's loco man and the subtitles pop up after being gone for like an hour it's like that's crazy man
0: and we find out right here at the start of the movie why mcgruber has been in isolation and why he has retired and why he doesn't fight crime i will give you the honor walk people through why he has given up the the world of Magrubering.
1: well we flash back to mcgruber about to marry his fiance casey fitzpatrick who is was played by the wonderful Maya Rudolph. And uh, so, Kunth rolls up on the wedding. He's installed a bomb inside the Bible. So, when they finally get to that last page, you see the bomb in the Bible and Kunth in the background hits the button, blam, blows up Maya Rudolph. And uh, yeah. Cool. That's that's.
0: the first of many horrible things that'll be done to Maya Rudolph in this movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is true. Maya comes in just to get dreamed uh, basically, multiple times.
0: Yeah, we're going to see this wedding scene over and over in the movie, and every time we see it, it gets more graphic and progressively worse. Like, there's a scene later in the movie where Kristen Wiig is at the, mo- at the wedding, and we hear the explosion, and she is immediately splattered by the blood of her best friend, Maya Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so this is MacGruber, he's still haunted that this guy Dieter von Kunth, has blown up his wife and killed his wife and ruined all his dreams, so MacGruber, his his need for revenge finally gets him to come out of retirement, and he goes to the Pentagon and says, you know, I'm in, let's go, let's go pound some Kunth <laughs> and they explain the whole thing, this guy, uh, Dieter, has stolen these nuclear codes, he's got a missile, he's gonna do some terrorist act, you gotta stop him, and... This is where MacGruber just starts being a dick to everybody right off the bat. I, right off the – I mean right from the start, he is an asshole to everybody in the Pentagon.
1: Well, yeah, especially uh, uh, Dixon Piper, who is played by – that that's Ryan Felipe's character, uh, just automatically hates that dude right <laughs> off the bat. Uh, I think at the end of the scene, just bashes him in the head, you know, just headbutts him. <laughs>
0: There's one little line that I like especially here. It's just such a little Will Forte weighing, way of saying a line where the the, the colonel's like, uh, you know, MacGruber, it'd be really bad if the uh, terrorist gets the nuclear launch codes. And, and MacGruber's like, oh, really? I thought it'd be okay if he got the codes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, before you said that, I thought it would have been okay. <laughs> yeah, and so what is he? he? He tells Ryan Phillippe, he's like, yeah, you little sold, Like You're one of these goody two-shoe soldiers. You think your shit doesn't stink. Well, guess what? Your shit does stink. It smells like shit. All right. <laughs> so, we learn that the that Von Count has put together a dream team of all these killers and terrorists and stuff. And MacGruber's like, "Well, you know what? I can play. I can play that game too. I'll put together my own dream team." And this is where we get a the first of many montages in this movie.
1: Yes. Uh, so we establish him rolling out in his car uh, to a Black Keys song. That immediately switches to toto's rosanna after he rolls which establishes that mcgruber likes the cheesiest uh
0: you know 70s uh middle of the road jams yeah just to clarify for people who have not seen this movie before there's a couple great running jokes uh one of them involves mcgruber and his car stereo which will never not make me laugh He's forever getting in and out of his car and he has to have a removable stereo with him at all times because he doesn't want it stolen. So, like, he's going into these dangerous terrorist missions and he's always carrying his little (laughs) removable stereo. It's so (laughs) stupid but so funny because it never lets up the whole movie.
1: Yeah, which is so strange because, I mean, I grew up in a time where... You'd basically, if you wanted to do that, you would just take the faceplate off of your stereo in your car. But this whole idea of removing the whole mechanism each time yeah it's
0: like he's got a little woman's purse with him at all times his little stereo
1: right? and it's just a stereo
0: and the other thing is what andrew said is that they, they'll they play these hard rock soundtracks when mcgruber is pulling out into action and then they'll immediately cut to the actual song that's on his radio and it's always the wimpiest little 80s ballad you can think of like yeah. repeatedly through the whole movie <laughs> and that's got to be and that's got to be yorma Taco. i mean that's that's it feels like a lonely island gag right there
1: mm, yeah yeah definitely yeah, I think there's some some Michael Bolton and stuff in there that <laughs> certainly had to be his his choice. Yeah.
0: Okay, so MacGruber is going to go recruit his dream team of terrorist killers, and I'm going to just go through it rather quickly. But the first guy is the one that I want to focus on, and it's a montage of like any action movie you've ever seen. Like they play this completely straight. It's really like a real action movie here where he's assembling his dream team, and Frank Frank the boxer. He's the one that I want to focus on here. Oh, yes. Chris Jericho. Oh, that's Chris. I didn't realize that was Chris Jericho.
1: Yes. that. Uh, so all of these people are wrestlers.
0: Well, that helps yeah. helps the macho factor. We have actual pro wrestlers here that MacGruber's going to recruit. Yep. And he goes to this guy, Chris, uh, Frank the Boxer, played by Chris Jericho. And just a wonderful little phrase, uh, exchange of phrases here. I had to write it down exactly because it's such a Will Forte type thing. <laughs> Where <laughs> Chris Jericho's like, you're looking pretty good, MacGruber. And MacGruber's like, well... Every day is a workout when you're carrying around a 20-pound python in your jeans. And Jericho's like, yeah. You and your dick comments. You and your dick comments. <laughs> and you think that would be the end of the scene, but because it's a Wolf Forte one, it's going to keep going. <laughs> He's like, you and your dick comments. And and MacGruber's like, it's fun to say them. And Jericho's like, fun to hear it's them. fun to hear them. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say them. That's why I listen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which I guess Monteri reveals that – I don't know how much of it uh, was, but I think a little bit of that was improv. He said that uh, Jericho was actually taking some improv training at the Groundlings. Wow. So uh, maybe – I think some of that actually might have been done within that scene or at least on the day of probably adding the it's fun to say them, it's fun to hear them. Uh, comments.
0: Yeah, that is just fantastic. I mean, anybody who has an ear for comedy writing just has to appreciate that scene and that dialogue because it's <laughs> it just keeps going beyond the part where you think the joke ends and they just keep going with it. <laughs> all right, so McGoover recruits his entire team. There's uh, Tut Beamer, a big black construction worker. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're all named. They're all big pro wrestlers, and they're all big macho guys.
1: Yeah, you got the Big Show, Kane, the Great Collie. Yeah, they're all WWE guys.
0: And this, this is where we meet the possible female member of the team, Vicky St. Elmo, played by, of course.
1: Uh, Kristen Wigg.
0: Kristen Wigg, who is, I have to say, I'm not always the biggest fan of Kristen Wigg, but... I love her in this movie. I think she's so good when she's toned down like this.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's exactly what I was about to say, is I love when Kristen is underplayed rather than overplayed. And, uh, yeah, she always kills it in these sketches. or, or very spunky, like, let's call go, <laughs> uh is always so much fun. And, uh, yeah, so this is where we also establish the flashback of she was best friends with Maya Rudolph and at the wedding and – coated in her own friend's blood after the explosion and she just doesn't want to want to join the team you know she's moved on uh to her terrible terrible music career
0: great great shot here great acting performance by Kristen wig when they literally just throw a gallon of blood in her face during the explosion scene <laughs> you got to give a shout out to the pro who can play that scene right <laughs> Okay, here's another throwaway joke, just a lot of little throwaway jokes and moments that legitimately get laughs out of me because they come out of nowhere, where he's trying to get Chris Wig to join the team, and he's like, well, if you want to join later, you know where to find me, and he hands her a piece of paper, and you think it's a phone number. Right. <laughs> He opens up the paper and it says i'm at the pentagon in like big retard script <laughs> i know i think he
1: also i think he spells
0: it pentagon yeah he misspells pentagon it looks like a two-year-old wrote it
1: <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> it's such a killer gag and they don't they don't linger on it you just have to it's real quick right so uh, so now we go to uh, <laughs> one of the uh, most famous scenes in the movie where <laughs> MacGruber has gathered his whole team that he's going to go take on Von Kunth and he's gathered them all in a van. It's like just like a Schwarzenegger movie of muscle and brawn and testosterone. and They're all together in one van, and they have all the weapons, and they're getting ready to uh, fly off to whatever God knows what country Von Kunth is in. And Andrew, what happens to these poor souls?
1: Well, uh, apparently there's been some homemade C4 in the van, and while we're off talking to Powers Booth and Ryan Felipe, kablam, the entire van goes up with everybody in it.
0: Yeah, you think this is going to be a big action movie, but it's not, because in the first ten minutes... All of McGruber's team gets murdered because he accidentally <laughs> loads the van with explosives. And it's say, hey, you don't see this joke coming. He's talking in the foreground, and all of a sudden the van with his entire team gets blown up right behind him.
1: I would say, actually, this is the one gag uh, in the movie that doesn't fully work for me because I think I did kind of see this one coming, especially because you continually see the van in the background and, and we're talking up those people so much that it's like, yeah, that van's going up, no doubt. My favorite part of this, though, he, he's fighting with Ryan Felipe again. And, uh, it, you know, Ryan's up in his face about having busted his nose earlier. And uh, we get the line of McGruber saying to him, I bet you wish your face was a penis so we could fuck butts.
0: Wait, you must be watching the unrated version. That's a different line. Oh, is it? Okay, because the
1: commentary, the commentary is only on the theatrical version, but uh, I couldn't really hear it because of the commentary. But just watching it, I didn't see anything really edited out. So Okay,
0: okay, I'll give you the theatrical version here. Now, what happens is, yeah, uh, Philippi has the broken nose from when Magruber has headbutted him, and uh, Magruber goes, How's your nose, rookie? And uh, Philippi's like, Fine, I banged it into a big vagina. And then, yeah, yeah. And then McGruber um, goes, I bet you wish your nose was a dick so you could ram it into my face vagina.
1: Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So we could. Yeah, so fuck butts was the one that <laughs> was added into the unrated version, which was so ludicrous.
0: Yeah, just flip a coin which version you prefer there.
1: Right.
0: I will say that my favorite part of the scene, like I, I agree with you, I think they play play off the gag that the van is going to explode too early. But I love every single member of MacGruber's team has died in this van explosion that he himself loaded with C four. Right. And then <laughs> MacGruber, I love when Will Forte is is tormented and he starts screaming. He's like,
1: "Oh, he's one of the best
0: screamers." He's like, he runs over to the van and there's clearly nobody alive, but he's going, "Tug, tug, you guys okay? <laughs> you guys?"
1: No, 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 no. Tag! Tag! You guys okay? Oh, somebody's gotta be in there. Oh, no. Oh. Call 911! Call 911! Uh And the, the scene ends with him just screaming at the sky, which I believe is, like, the fourth scene already in the film that ends with MacGruber screaming. <laughs> yes,
0: we've established a pattern here yes She will fail and then scream all right so with all his team gone basically mcgruber's removed from the case and it's really just him and ryan philippe at this point and Philippi wants nothing to do with him because mcgruber's been a dick to him the whole time and this is where he has to get Philippi back on board and get him to join the team probably the less probably the less said about this one the better but i'll let you imply some of it if you'd like well this is the i'll suck your dick monologue (laughs) yeah this is the ends one of the nc-17 scenes i would say (laughs) oh is this not in the theatrical i think
1: it was it is
0: is, but this is one of those hard r scenes that you wouldn't want to sit there and watch with your mom
1: (laughs) right because yeah he's just begging him on the floor to join his team and he's like just show me what the fuck anything in the room just show me what the fuck and my favorite part before all this is he's talking to Powers Booth at the beginning, and uh, he's, he's taken MacGruber off the case. But they're talking about the funeral, and he's like, you really did not need to curse that much during your eulogy. And he's like, whatever. And he's like, there were kids there. He's like, they laughed.
0: <laughs> yes. MacGruber has an F-word problem, as we learn. All right. Yeah. So MacGruber basically begs Philippe to join his team is basically, I will do mouth stuff with you. You can do mouth stuff with me, whatever you want to do. I'll f anything in this room, point to anything in this room. I'll have sex with it. And then, you know, Will Forte will just keep these jokes going. Then the general walks in and Forte is pantsless preparing to have sex with anything in the room. And Will Forte, no stranger to showing his butt, I will say.
1: No, we see we see a lot of Will Forte in this movie.
0: So Felipe basically says, okay, fine, I'll join you to, embarrass- to stop MacGruber from embarrassing himself and having sex with the whiteout bottle. <laughs> and so this is the team. We have Philippi and we have MacGruber. And somehow then Vicky comes in and joins. She, Kristen Wiig decides. So now we have the official team, the three-man team.
1: Right, right. And so uh, I guess uh, the first thing we need to do is go down to Gump's nightclub and, and do some intel research.
0: Yeah, okay, another fantastic running joke in this movie. So many little sight gags and running jokes. This is the license plate gag. Yes. All right, I'll give you the honor.
1: Oh, so, I mean, they're right outside of the nightclub, just chilling in his car at the at the light or whatever, and a dude just rolls past, like, nice car! And he's like, he just looks at the license plate and just starts repeating it over, like, K-R-B-R-2-1-3-2-K-R-V, hey, and just... So you just set up the gag. It, it it very nicely just kind of underplays itself. You just get him very intently looking at it and, and just repeating it to himself. And then you kind of lose it for a while uh, until it comes back. But uh, it's a very nice setup here where they, they definitely point it out to you and then give you just enough repetition to kind of remember it and then make you forget it until it comes back.
0: Yeah, I will pop up several times through this movie. That McGruber is so driven by rage that he remembers this guy's license plate and his vows revenge. You know, possibly more than anything else in the movie, he's more
1: focused on this.
0: On top of the nuclear situation, he hates this guy even more, and all because the guy said "nice car" when he saw McGruber's Miata. Right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he goes. He goes into the club and he just announces his presence. He's like, you know, I'm McGruber. I'm gonna come get you, cunt. Th- just immediately blows his cover. Yeah, they're like, you know, he thought you were dead, Magruber. You just ruined your entire advantage. <laughs> and so, now we need to come up with a backup plan. And this is a good 20-minute stretch of the movie, one of my favorite parts of the movie where their plan is they're going to dress Vicky up as Magruber, so when they try to kill Magruber, he'll be safe. <laughs> and Vicky's right. like, "What? Why why would you dress me up and have them try to kill me?" And Magruber's like, "Well, because it's not me." <laughs> she's like no that's terrible but he's he's very fully committed to this plan
1: i also love that he, he becomes very attracted to vicky in the mcgruber outfit like, oh you look really nice here
0: yeah so kristen wig underplaying everything we have a big stretch of movie here where she dresses up as Magruber and goes into a bar and tries to get herself shot by a terrorist and that doesn't work because the terrorist comes and attacks Magruber in the van blah 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 but anyway, then when they kill the terrorist, uh, what is his name? Haas. Haas Bender. Yes, I believe so. Then Vicky, they dress Vicky up as Haas instead. <laughs> They're like, "We'll send you into the the terrorist night, the the den of all the terrorists." And she's like, "But they'll shoot me." And he'll be like, "No, they'll be so angry you're not Haas that they they'll just they won't know what to do." She's like, "No, <laughs> they won't even know what to do." <laughs> So, poor Kristen Wiig, always being shoved into danger, and and she's so funny at underplaying this character, like, but, but, no, no, no. And also, for
1: some reason, Ryan Felipe is now dressed as MacGruber.
0: Yes, that's the other joke I forgot about. For no reason. So, Kristen Wiig, you're dressed as the terrorist, Felipe's dressed as me, and I'll be over here while they kill you two.
1: Right, and so there's supposed to be some sort of change of nuclear codes or whatever happening here. Of course, McGruber just immediately announces himself. Uh, the cover is immediately blown by the celery in the butt trick.
0: Oh, there's some fun stuff in this scene. The celery is the one that really got all the attention, and I will explain that in a second if you haven't seen it, but the tennis ball is the one that will make <laughs> me laugh every single goddamn time I watch this movie. I did,
1: I did make a note of that as well, because <laughs> it is the one sort of MacGyver-esque moment is during this... And, like crazy gun battle going on. You see him just, he's messing around in a tiny little bucket. And, uh, as everybody is rolling away, the whole action scene is over. He just throws the tennis ball and it just goes, poof, just a little bit of smoke.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, the celery one is the one that everyone tends to remember from, as the, the gun battles going on between McGruber or McGruber's buddy. McGruber will not shoot a gun. So his buddy has to do all the heavy lifting. He has to do all but Philip, He has to do all the shooting McGruber decides he will distract the bad guys by basically stripping down to nothing and wedging a stick of celery up his butt. <laughs> and he walks out and does a little dance with the celery coming out of his butt again. It's just a little duck walk. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of Will Forte in this movie. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> bizarre thing. And the funny thing is it works. Right. Bad guys are so distracted that Ryan Phillippe shoots them all. Right, right. And then the tennis ball. That's it's such a master class in how... Comedy equals timing. Watch this scene. I'm sure they have it on YouTube. Just watch. McGruber throws the tennis ball, and watch how long the director, Yorma, holds on the scene before the tennis ball fails to explode, and McGruber just goes, (laughs) damn it!
1: and the whole scene ends with them uh, getting a call from Kunth on the cell phone. So Alright, keep him on the line, you know, for twenty seconds so we can triangulate his position and McGruber immediately picks up, like, listen here, you motherfucker, I'm coming for you <laughs> just like he hangs up within three seconds.
0: Yeah, McGruber's supposed to keep him on the line for twenty. He immediately insults him, Kunth hangs up and they're like, <laughs> McGruber, it had to be twenty seconds He's like, That was twenty and they're like, No, that was three <laughs> Uh, Okay, so we're about halfway through the movie, and everything has failed. MacGruber, the bad guys have got the nuclear codes, they've got the bomb, everything's going bad, and they find out that there's going to be a party at Kunth's house. Yeah, some sort of charity event, I believe it is. Okay, and so MacGruber and Vicky and Felipe are going to go crash the party, and and MacGruber has orders. Like, you can only stake out outside the party. Do not go in, do not make a scene out of yourself. And knowing McGruber, he immediately makes a scene out of himself, <laughs> mm-hmm. dressing in the flashiest white tuxedo and then crashing the party while, I might add, still holding his car stereo. Yes.
1: <laughs> and meanwhile, Ryan Felipe is uh, sort of monitoring all this from a truck and notices MacGruber's uh, notebook for the whole case when she pops open first no uh, first page notes or clues, clues rather. Uh, nothing. After that, K R B R 2 1 3. It's the license plate repeated a million, billion times, uh, like the, the shining esque, <laughs> you know, all work and no play uh, type of scenario. And he just flips flips through these endless, endless pages of of the writing of this license plate until he finally gets to a crudely drawn picture of MacGruber hanging from a branch and pooping on the guy and his car, and he just tosses the notebook away in disgust.
0: That's the part that, again, these Will Forte things where you start a joke, and you keep going and it stops being funny, and then it becomes funny again because he keeps going with it. (laughs) When they're flipping through the notebook, just all the references, this license plate, that's All MacGruber cares about is the guy who yelled at him in Vegas. And you just keep going and going and going. It's all that's in the notebook. And the very last page is MacGruber taking a shit onto the guy. (laughs) Yup. All right. I have to point out one of the most awkward um, exchanges of dialogue I've ever seen in a comedy here between MacGruber and uh, Von Kuntz's daughter.
1: Oh, right.
0: (laughs) All right. I will set this one up for people because I am, again, the comedy writer in me loves stuff like this where... (laughs) Where MacGruber goes into the party and Von Kuntz is there and there's an attractive looking woman, younger woman next to him. And so MacGruber goes to the girl and he says, you know, Von Kuntz is an a-hole. Hope you enjoy being date raped tonight. And, the, and <laughs> Von Kuntz is like, that's my daughter. <laughs> and MacGruber just gets this look on his face. He's like, uh, he killed my wife. I don't know. <laughs> the face he puts on it is like, oh, it's
1: so good. It, it's, yeah, it's mostly sold on MacGruber's reaction of like, oh, boy.
0: <laughs> really fucked that up. Okay, so MacGruber is thrown out of the party, and they smash his beloved car stereo. And he's more angry about that than anything, that they've ruined his stereo. Right. They owe him a Blaupunkt. Yes, and the whole
1: time he's just whining to Kristen Wig, who's actually still in the party and actually doing her damn job, and he's just whining about how bummed he is that they they broke
0: his stereo. <laughs> okay, here we go. We're about to set up the signature MacGruber scene, the sex scene. Although you have to do this very carefully because I don't, I, I, I want to do this justice, Andrew.
1: Oh, I mean, well, first we need to go back and and have Powers Booth take him off the case. Yeah. McGruber
0: gets fired. McGruber gets fired. There, I'll, I'll save you the trouble.
1: Yeah, and we get the... He goes to the door, and then he turns back, and he's like, I'll, I'll suck your fucking dick. He's like, no, no, thank you. I was like, damn. Damn it.
0: <laughs> that usually works. <laughs> right. But
1: so everybody's basically off the case, and they're enjoying some time off, just uh, having a couple beers in the back, some random backyard. Uh, I do love the... <laughs> the flirtatious conversation as as christian Wade goes off to the bathroom and he's like what is it a number one or a number two and she's like i'm not gonna tell you he's like it's a number two and they both like giggle like idiots and she kind of like struts off oh so ridiculous
0: all right so here we go we're gonna set this up that everyone's been removed from the case and they're very sad and they're all just kind of sitting around and felipe's like Why don't you make a move on Vicky? You know, she obviously likes you. You obviously like her. And he's like, oh, no, I could never do that. I promised Maya Rudolph, my wife, who was blown up. I promised her I would never touch another woman. And so we get into this long discussion. Why did he kill your wife anyway, McGruber? And McGruber's like, I don't know. It's a mystery why he had some grudge against me. And this is where we go into the story of, of perhaps why. This monologue is outrageous. So we find out the mystery of why Von Kunt hates MacGruber is that apparently Casey, MacGruber, and uh, and Von kunth all went to college together. So we all see them sitting around in a dorm room, like, eating pizza and playing guitars. And apparently Von kunth was married, was engaged to Casey. That was his girlfriend. Right. And MacGruber's like, but, you know, I took her. I banged her. I stole her away from Von kunth And, like, what do you say is the actual words here? I banged her and I mowed her box. She was the first person I was comfortable enough to eat out my butt. And so they cheated on Von Kuntz, and then she's like, well, she was pregnant with Von Kuntz's child. I had her terminate the baby. <laughs> so obviously I had her terminate. I killed his kid. And he's like, I don't know why he's mad at me, though. <laughs> So, again, we're just rolling into the
1: third act of this film, and we realize that MacGruber is the true villain here.
0: Yeah, he's the villain. I I love here, MacGruber tells the most horrible story of all these horrible things. He took this guy's girlfriend, had his baby terminated, and then (laughs) Philippe's like, wow, that's fucked up. And MacGruber's (laughs) like, thanks. (laughs) He, He thinks he's empathizing with him. Oh, my God and uh so it's right
1: after that that they realize you know they're being watched and uh so they they're they get fired upon by by one of the henchmen who comes to to bust up their little party there uh mcgruber totally using ryan felipe as a human shield <laughs> uh even just turning him over at one point to just <laughs> utilize more <laughs> this is great like the front half of him was too shot up so he t- he turns him around uh him and, and Kristen Wig jump into the car and they kinda lay him in the back so he continues to act as a shield. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Philippy takes about five hundred bullets in the scene. The sniper's trying to kill him and McGruber is moving Philippi in different areas so he'll he'll absorb more bullets that he'll be protected. <laughs> so <laughs> So they all drive off and Philippy comes out to him to life. He's like, Oh, I had a bulletproof vest on. He's like, Wow, that was so genius of you, McGruber, for using you me as a, as a shield. How did you know I had a bulletproof vest on? And McGruber's like, you're wearing a bulletproof vest. Awesome. <laughs> so, Philip is a little angry that perhaps his best friend has used him as a shield, and he leaves. He quits. He walks off.
1: Right. Uh, so, but we do figure out that MacGruber has been shot in his leg, and so uh, we we go to Vicky's house, Kristen Wig, her her house, to to pull out the bullet.
0: Which is conveniently located right next to his dick.
1: Right, The yeah, the, the bullet. And so th- this this starts off the funniest five to ten minutes of this film is so great. So first we got the hole right next to MacGruber's crotch. And, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to get that out. And you almost assume she's going to suck it out or something. No, she just graphically starts just... Putting these pliers in there and just moving it around. The most graphic close up of just jamming pliers into this bullet wound uh, as they're having this very tender conversation.
0: That's an odd way to start a sex scene, by the way. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and that he's gotten an erection because of it. Yeah, it's
0: this is a very roundabout way to having not only one, but two of the funniest sex scenes you are ever going to see in a movie. And this is why when I recommend this to people, when I say, even if you don't care about anything else in this movie, watch these sex scenes and then imagine that some horrified kid had to sit there and watch that with their parents one time. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. So and before we get into the first sex scene, though, uh, as as it's kind of wrapping up and they're they're starting to kiss. uh she, Kristen points to the gun wound and is like, should I close this up? And he's like, no, I love holes.
0: <laughs> yes. Leave it open. I like holes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And what's funny is that's only the first one. Here's the second one. He starts to kiss her and she's like, I'm a virgin. And he's like, not for long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. And so you get, you know, you get the sex scene kind of shot like a eighties action, uh, sex scene. Uh, a lot of close-ups of fingers, running down bodies. You got your Smokey Sax soundtrack. Very romantic. Very romantic until we completely break the reality of it and we just hear what's going on in the room. Oh, God. Um, who wants to take a crack at it? I will, to I will it? do my
0: best, but I cannot actually say everything MacGruber says in the scene because I have a teenage son in the other room and he might hear me screaming this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, what's happened is that, yeah, this uh, masterclass in film editing right here, what Jorma Tocconi does here, just the the jump cut. Words cannot describe this jump cut of this most romantic love scene ever, set to Take These Broken Wings by Mr. Mister. Very cheesy 80s romantic. He's stroking and caressing and, and licking, and it's so romantic. And then, like I said, your neck will snap from this jump cut. All of a sudden... It, there, all the music stops. All the romance stops. It's just Will Forte pounding away on Kristen Wiig and going, uh, 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 and, and it goes on. It doesn't stop. It's the most <laughs> awkward scene ever. And he's making these noises that are not human. He sounds like an accordion. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna
1: fill you up, and she's like, I'm gonna fill you up, and he's like, just let me do the talking. Uh, uh. Oh, man. So that's ridiculous enough in its own. But after this, he he feels such shame. Then he has to go to the grave of his his long-dead wife to, uh, you know, apologize for what he's done. And so the ghost of Maya Rudolph shows up, and uh, so then he just fucks her on her tombstone. (laughs) And it's just the same scene (laughs) over again. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, again i cannot imagine people who saw this in the theater and were unprepared for that scene because the first one is bad enough i mean you watch this on youtube it's so awkward and it just goes on as he's just pounding at her i mean he's like a jackhammer making the weirdest noises and then we cut to this tender scene at the grave right after with maya rudolph and her, jo- her ghost comes out. She's like, it's okay, be with Vicky, I don't mind. And then he starts kissing her, and they start making out. And the exact same scene starts up again. The romantic music, the take these broken wings, licking, caressing. And then all of a sudden we cut to one of the great jump cuts again. Him just pounding away on her, on top of her gravestone. <laughs> right? Same noises. Wow. 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 Wow.
1: Wow. And then, uh, right. And then a further sort of step away, as you get like a a grave digger, uh, person like walking along, and uh, he just looks over, and it's just Will humping the air.
0: <laughs> yes, it's Will Forte humping nothing, doing his. Uh, uh, uh. Although there's a great scene of him and Maya Rudolph facing each other, she's making funny noises too. Yeah, well, then, yeah, she's
1: totally, uh, you know, into it, and I love you. Get a close up of both of them, and he's just. Spittle and all just like I'm gonna shoot! I'm gonna shoot.
0: god Just right in her face. It's oh my god. It's so insane. Wow, yeah, that that is not the type of scene you expect in an SNL movie.
1: I'm gonna shoot I'm gonna fucking shoot. shoot. I'm gonna uh, shoot too. Uh, gonna shoot together. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> no, my god, no. Yeah, it it really yeah, it's it's probably the furthest any SNL related uh comedy has ever gone <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> in terms of raunchiness. Uh And so after that, we we also get the uh, we come full circle with the uh, license plate as well.
0: Oh yeah, we get the payoff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. McGruber has spent the entire movie obsessing over this license plate of the guy who made fun of his car in Vegas, like literally an hour ago in the movie, and after he is. He has ghost sex with his dead wife on his harder headstone. He happens to walk out in the parking lot and, whoa, what a fortuitous event. There's the car parked right there. And he's so angry, he keys it and then. Well,
1: yeah, he just immediately rolls right into it. like, Like he's just been waiting and just he sees it and immediately keys out, starts to go smashing windows out. Uh, all while having a very sort of naturalistic, calm conversation with Powers Booth as uh, I think he's uh, relating that uh,
0: Vicky has been
1: kidnapped.
0: Yeah, he's on the phone with a, with a colonel, and it's, it's an important conversation for the movie. And all the meanwhile, MacGruber is keying and smashing and burning this car. Right. And although there, what's funny is there's a newspaper on the back seat that says, President to give State of the Union tonight. And that's where MacGruber realizes where the bomb's going to explode. So it actually is a plot point
1: right right
0: and the guy shows up right the guy who drives the car
1: yeah as he's walking away he's like hey that's my He's like fuck you <laughs>
0: yeah that's the payoff to the entire storyline <laughs> there's no <laughs> right. fight he just kills keys the car <laughs> yeah and just rolls out yeah.
1: uh yeah. such a petty petty character oh yeah
0: oh but that that sex scene that is one of the <laughs> top 10 funniest things i have ever seen in a movie So, and I'm not just, I mean, you go on YouTube and you see the videos and these have been posted dozens of times and just everyone under the comments in YouTube, it's people's horror stories of them watching this movie with their parents and not realizing that scene was coming. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Luckily, I think my parents have a a good enough sense of
0: humor that I think we all probably would have fallen out, but. (laughs) Well, yeah, I should hope so because your parents are dicks. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, pun on the name for my listeners. I'm making sure my listeners caught that one. (laughs) Uh, all right so what happens is after the gravesite he goes back to tell vicky it's okay we can be with each other and we find out that she has been kidnapped and this will uh, go into the last part of the movie that von Kuntz has kidnapped vicky he's going to set off a bomb at the state of the union and and this is where mcgruber tells Kuntz over the phone he's like you know though throughout the whole movie there's two things that mcgruber three things that mcgruber wants in this movie he wants to a rip people's throats out as often as he can Right. B, get the license plate, that car that, that insulted him, and get back at him. And then C, the most noble one, perhaps, he wants to cut off von Kuntz's dick and shove it in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's our noble hero.
1: Yes, yes. And so we get a uh, suiting up scene, uh, but in a very sort of... Uh, mcgruber macgyver way it's like pennies and the belly button a thumbtack and the toes rubber bands and crap over here uh he hasn't actually suited up with anything useful
0: well don't forget the celery he puts the celery down the pants oh yes
1: and we got the celery comes back <laughs> uh so yeah him and uh felipe roll up to uh Kump's compound uh, which is which gets our first throat rip. We've been hearing about it for so long, and they're they're kind of like on the outskirts of the compound and roll up to some sentry. Uh, just kind of walking around and just MacGruber just graphically rips his throat out and is so excited about
0: it. Yeah, this is literally the thing that gives MacGruber the most pleasure in life is ripping someone's throat out. And Will Forte gets the great, greatest maniacal grin when he does it.
1: <laughs> yes. yes, as Felipe is just horrified at this. Like, what is going on?
0: Yeah, so McGrubin does his first throat rip at the compound, and then he sees a second guy, and he does a little quip. He's like, here's some throat lozenges. You're going to want to take a whole box of these. And then he rips his throat out with a big grin on his face, and Felipe's like, what the F, man? That's so gross. <laughs> Although, I have to say, a great Kristen Wiig moment. we kind of been not giving her enough credit here yeah fantastic scene here with her and val kilmer in the compound that yes. she's all tied up and and she's like stick it where the sun don't shine Dieter. and he's like where might that be and kristen wig just with the perfect beat where might that be where the sun doesn't shine she's like your butt in your butt in your in your butthole." <laughs>
1: and then he puts the the mouth thing back in It's like all right let's stop that and I love also when they, they finally find her later on because she kind of disappears as they make their way to her. Uh, she's completely fallen over uh, on the chair and in some sort of attempt to leave, <laughs> but still so happy. He's like, hey, MacGruber, <laughs> and she's laying on the ground. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we're in the final compound. This is the final fight of the movie, and MacGruber has done his first two throat rips, and now he's excited because he might get the elusive third throat rip.
1: He's looking for the turkey.
0: The turkey. And people don't know that's an actual bowling term for three strikes in a row. And Felipe's like, what's a turkey? And MacGruber's like, well, it's a bowling term, and you get three strikes in a row, and I'm going to do three throat rips because I have applied the bowling term to throat rips. (laughs) And Felipe's like, what the hell, dude? Although, okay, I have to give praise to this joke. Like I said, there's about eight to ten laugh-out-loud, legitimate, funny moments in this movie, and this is one that always gets me, is that <laughs> McGruber goes into the control room in the in the compound. He kills the guy there, and then he, he announces on the PA, Hey, Von Kuntz, I'm in your compound now. Come on up to the control room. I got a little surprise for you. And so Kuntz sends every one of his guards up to the control room. <laughs> And what is what is the surprise that he is, that MacGruber has left for him?
1: Uh, he's he's strung up the guy that he's just killed, uh, duct taped him to have his middle fingers up, and I believe also the commentary they they tried their best to have his uh, middle toe up as well, <laughs> and uh, a sign that I think just says like suck it or something like that.
0: No, no, okay, okay. I will I will do this justice because this is the one that's so uh, close to my heart here. That
1: okay, yeah, I whiffed it.
0: McGruber has done the home alone gag, where he has the doorknob booby-trapped and a little, a thing, of, a thing, a little thing above that when they open the door, it will spill on them. <laughs> Except it's yeah. the smallest styrofoam cup of water. <laughs> so when they burst in, this tiny little cup of water spills on all eight bad guys.
1: Yeah, that is a very much blink-and-you'll-miss-it uh, gag.
0: And, but then the, bad, the the dead guard that's holding up the middle fingers, he has a sign that says, You're all wet.
1: Uh oh. yeah, when they
0: burst in the room they see the sign that says you're all wet, but in keeping with McGruber he has misspelled it where it's just Y O U R in giant childlike <laughs> <Yeah>. script.
1: <Yeah.
0: laughs> so that's a surprise. They got slightly wet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's let's wrap this up here. We go to the end of the the last showdown, and there's big gunfight in the warehouse, and Ryan Philippi of course, doing all the work, doing all the all the shooting, and MacGruber is fishing around looking for some kind of bomb he can make, and and this is where uh, he's like, I got this wrench, I got this bottle cap. Tell me, Piper, look, be on the lookout for one large brown egg. <laughs> Philippi's <laughs> like, Shut the fuck up, MacGruber. <laughs> i won't use a gun though that's the key mcgruber will not use a gun
1: right until now
0: yeah until now and this is yet another just laugh out loud moment and why this movie is so much funnier than it should be that <laughs> mcgruber's like i don't know how to use a gun and philip like you just point it and shoot point it and pull the trigger and mcgruber's like that's it that's as, as hard as it is so we get the wonderful sight gag of McGruber shooting a gun for the first time, which is him popping up with the biggest shit eating grin on his face you've ever seen, waving the guns at any random thing in any direction and shooting them simultaneously, one to the left, one to the right, not even coming close to anything.
1: Right. It's just the most wild spastic motions. And then he
0: gets down there. He's like, this is awesome. He's yeah. like, I got a barrel. And Phillip, like, aim for a person. <laughs>
1: And then you get the shot as they, you know, get out of cover and and Felipe is like your normal action guy running and popping off shots and killing guys. (laughs) And it's all slow motion. You cut to MacGruber again, slow motion, just hands waving like a wild wacky arm guy, just shooting guns everywhere. Big old shit eating grin on his face.
0: The Will Forte spaz attack is the best way to describe this scene. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) And again, the the, the childlike joy that he, he gets from it. Ah, uh, so good.
0: Well, speaking of childlike joy, this is immediately followed by the scene where he gets his third throat rip. He gets the elusive turkey. Yes. And it's like uh, Felipe knocks this guy out, he's falling down, and you can see that Forte wants to go over and rip the throat out. And he's like salivating. He can see the guy's throat. And Felipe gives him the go ahead. Fine. Go ahead. I know it gives you joy. So Forte rips the guy's throat out. It's so graphic. All of them are – they splatter blood on the camera when the throat rips out. Right, right. And then he gobbles at him. So it's very nice. (laughs) He got the turkey. But yeah, so
1: finally our big showdown with Kunth, which I got to say, you know, I, I mostly enjoy this movie. I think the one big misstep this film has is this whole scenario here just doesn't quite come off the big showdown with Val Kilmer uh, feels a little bit
0: underwhelming so what you're saying there's flaws in MacGruber?
1: uh yes <laughs> I didn't know if we were gonna get critical <laughs> any sort of film criticism here but uh yeah I mean it feels rushed it really does feel rushed like they didn't have too many great ideas for this uh, I, I did like Conf- Cutting off a bit of his mullet, and uh, that's what sends MacGruber into uh, his his fit of rage, and we also get Ryan Felipe bringing back the the celery trick uh, <laughs> to <laughs> confuse people. So uh, yeah, it, through a very rushed sequence of events, we've we've chained Kumpf up to some part of the wall, and we run up to the missile, and this is actually kind of where the film for the first time actually resembles uh the sketch yeah a bit
0: yeah they actually go into the sketch here
1: yeah basically i think the the usual song starts up and everything and uh
0: three minutes mcgruber
1: yeah you even get the yeah three minutes mcgruber okay mcgruber but strangely enough uh i don't know this just kind of fault i don't know he, he doesn't know how to disable it but then he just takes out the nuclear material and then the guidance system and comes like oh drat <laughs> yeah
0: it's not really climactic enough
1: yeah it just really doesn't have a great joke to go along with it like i, I it, that's the weird thing is that we've we've been able to supplant all of our other action uh, sequences with some good jokes. And then this just kind of, even when we're like, okay, hey, it's the beats of the sketch. And even that doesn't really come to uh, much uh, fruition. So kind of strange to have this this one scene just kind of fart. And it's like the big climactic one. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay.
0: I was going to say the irony here is they're wandering material that already works on TV. And they don't really sell it or dwell on it. They just kind of do the sketch. Although there is a fantastic joke in here that I always forget about where three minutes MacGruber. And he's like, give me this. Give me the copper wire. Give me the ball bearing. He's like, here's this ring. And he gives the ring to Vicky to propose to her. And she's like, "Aww." And then he's like, this is where he announces the news because he's trying to spring it on her and get it past her. He's like, I porked Casey's ghost last night. We can talk about that later. (laughs) So anyway, this is the wrap-up of the movie. Magruber tries to disable the, the bomb. There's hundreds of wires in there. He can't do it. He's, in his own words, I'm more of a three-wire guy. They basically flee. They leave the bomb to blow up. They run out, and everything explodes. They basically save the day. They think Kunth is dead. And that should be the end of the movie, but there is one last scene after this.
1: Epilogue. Vicky and Magruber get married.
0: All right, so six months later, we go to the uh, wedding of Vicky and MacGruber, and basically they think Kunt's dead and everything has been saved, and he's uh, at the altar marrying Vicky, and this is where Cunt pulls up again. He's not dead. He survived the explosion, and he's going to blow up and destroy their wedding, just like he destroyed Casey's wedding. Right. And it's a very fun, very graphic sequence where first Cunt shoots a missile into the priest— which is always nice, seeing a priest blow up. Yes. And then they have a fist fight. And basically, MacGruber beats the crap out of Von Kunt. And this is where, earlier in the movie, he said he's going to rip out his dick and shove it in his throat. That's his, his big catchphrase. So he's like, Kunt, suck your own dick. And lo and behold, Kunth doesn't have one. It was blown off in the explosion. Which, of course, we see. Of course, we see. A very graphic shot yes. of Val Kilmer's fake pseudo-crutch. crotch. <laughs> right. Just as doughy as the rest of him, by the way. <laughs> and so, MacGruber doesn't get his revenge. He can't. He can't kill cunt the way he wanted to. So instead, he does another way. He one-ups himself, where he headbutts Val Kilmer over a cliff, and then, as the corpse is falling down to the ground from these giant heights, he pulls out a gun and starts shooting the corpse, while yelling "Fuck you, dude!" <laughs> Val Kilmer's body hits the ground. Uh, McGruber shoots a missile into it and explodes it and then pisses on it. <laughs> and then immediately he turns around to the priest and says, I do. And then the music comes up. McGruber! Yeah. And that's the movie.
1: So it is nice that, uh, yeah, even though uh, the whole climactic showdown didn't quite work with the the missile and all that it does end on a high note for sure that that last gag of uh yeah shooting him with the machine gun as he falls exploding him with a grenade and then pissing on his corpse is like okay very nice that's how you wrap it up
0: yes and as the critics of america once said what reason is there for this movie to exist
1: (laughs) i think we found it
0: Anyway, that's MacGruber, one of the wildest, just uh, out-of-control comedies you're ever going to see. So much more racy and hardcore than anybody ever expected an SNL movie would be, with, I would say, about eight to ten legitimate laugh-out-loud moments, and, oh my God, both sex scenes.
1: Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to have seen this. Uh, I, I want to, I want to thank you for having finally pushed me uh, to check this one out. I did I, I had heard good things beforehand, uh, but it was your recommendation. I was like, well, if Mario says it's good, then it has to be good. And uh, yeah, it's been great every single time. and uh, one that every single time I've watched it. I've seen it three times now. I, I get, I laugh at something I didn't even notice mm-hmm. the last time.
0: Like the water cup. You didn't even notice the water, the little tiny water cup. Right, <laughs>
1: right, yeah. So that whole scene didn't even parse for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, eventually there are things uh that will yeah the whole i love holes was the one that got me this time i was like i do not remember that but that is just as caustic as anything else in this crazy ass film
0: you know what's funny is i'm gonna put that sex scene at the end of this podcast i always do a little stinger of my favorite sound clip from the movie oh god people will get to listen to will forte noises as they are drifting you're gonna leave them yeah that's the last thing i want you to hear from this podcast (laughs) Oh, Christ almighty. All right, uh, before we go, uh, do you want to plug your podcast one more time, tell people how they can find you, how they can listen to your show?
1: Yeah, uh, that week in SNL, uh, as I stated before, we cover old episodes of SNL. We put in sound clips in there to help kind of give you a context of, of the sketch we're talking about if you don't remember them uh, which, you know, can happen for 35 year old episodes of uh, television that SNL has seemingly no interest in, in archiving uh, properly on the internet. And yeah, we just have fun, joke around, uh, go through tangents. It's it's kind of like this discussion here and, uh, As we we stated, uh, me and Mario did the Dolly Parton episode together, so uh, why don't you go start with that? If you're too scared to uh, just hear me and my my co-host, Timmy, uh, there is another episode with with, with just me and Mario hacking it up. And it's pretty much – you can find it everywhere you find your podcasts, your iTunes and your Stitches and all that. And uh, come find us on Twitter – at That Week in SNL, uh, where we're always getting rowdy.
0: You know what the best thing about having you on this podcast was, Andrew? What's that? You and your dick comments. <laughs> I love making them. That's why I listen. <laughs> All right, again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me on uh, email at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J Lanza. Until the next time I will be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love and I'll find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them thanks for listening and I'll talk to you guys later bye
1: do oh uh, 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 uh,